always appreciate uh, the uh, good song selection Brother Carl makes. I send him topics and scripture, and he always comes up with a great thing. And then every once in a while, like today, I have to send him an amendment. And I say, I'm sorry, but I've changed this topic. And uh, But he always does a wonderful job anyway. I appreciate that. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. When I put sermons together, any kind, any topic, my, my goal is to always not just do a commentary on what the passage says. Uh, most people can do that on their own. They can read what, what the Bible says. What, what I try to do is to use some illustration so we can make some application. And uh, so I had to... Uh, I wasn't satisfied with where I was on the, the original topic I had this afternoon, so I had to move on to another one I was working on, and and uh, I was a little more satisfied with that. But we're going to begin in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, beginning with uh, verse 22, Peter States, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. In his sermon, Peter explained that we received the truth from faithful men, and it is our responsibility, and it is a great responsibility, to commit those same truths to those who would come after us, those who would walk in the steps of Christ. And that's how that others come to walk in the steps of Christ. It is through the efforts of those who obey the gospel and continue to teach the gospel and to preach the gospel. Many faithful men and women have gone on before us laboring in the vineyards of God, and we too join in their work. We join in their effort and their labors. So we need to ask ourselves, and I think we probably need to do this on a regular basis, how exactly am I doing in my labor? Am I doing a good job? Am I doing the things that those faithful men and women did before me that allowed me to be where I am today? I think we all are standing on the shoulders of, of uh, faithful men and women. We didn't get to where we are on our own, and we need to carry forward that message just for no other reason than in appreciation for their wonderful efforts. Of course, there are other reasons, but that is uh, one of them. To labor successfully, though, we need to, say, uh, to see the same things that those people of God saw at that time. The Old Testament prophets, they saw a certain thing. They, they looked to a coming Messiah. The New Testament Christians realized that coming Messiah and they continued to talk about Him and, 
and how he came and did the things that he did. And we need to be able to see that and step back and see where we fit into that plan. We need to fit into it somewhere and to the best of our abilities to carry on those things that have happened before us. But are we able to do that? Am I seeing the things that ought to be seen? Is it, is it registering with me? Well, if we're going to see something, we must first look for it, right? You're never going to notice anything unless you try to find it or try to look for it. I don't know how many of you have ever kept up with racing in some way. I used to be a huge NASCAR fan. I don't care. I don't follow it much anymore, but I used to like to watch uh, the uh, open wheel road races. I never was much of an IndyCar fan, but I love to watch the Formula races. And but in the world of race car driving, one of the most important things that beginning racers are taught is how to handle a situation where you uh, lose control of your car. Well, they're taught to not do what would naturally come. You're driving at, at breakneck speeds, you spin out, you lose control, and the first thing you want to do is look where the wall is. Find the wall so you can avoid the wall. Well, that's the worst thing you can do. The thing you do is you focus on where you want to go, and if you focus on where you want to go, you'll miss the wall. If you're focusing on the wall, you're going to hit the wall. That's, that's, a, that's a universal rule in race car driving. You have to look at where you want to go. That allows them to stay the course. And so as Christians, if we're going to see the things God saw, we're going to focus on what uh, He focused on, we have to first look for it, and we have to pay attention to it. Well, what's the main goal? Well, I want eternal life. What, what do you do after that? I want, to, I want my family to have eternal life. I want them to be saved. Well, does it stop there? No. Let's, let's see who else can uh, be brought along and become members of the Lord's church. And so you see, it's no different when you do church work. You still have to focus. Jesus looked for and saw the thing for which He came out of heaven to accomplish, didn't He? Notice what Luke said or recorded for us. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. You see, we want to see the same things that Jesus saw, the same things that the Old Testament prophets saw, the same things that the New Testament prophets saw, the same thing that the early church saw when it was experiencing great growth. We want that, and we need to have that. Now, the title of the sermon this afternoon is Seeing What They Saw. But we have to look for it. We have to focus upon it. We want to see church growth. We want to see congregations everywhere to grow. But we have to first be looking for them to grow. Right? We have to look for growth. For that to happen, we must see the execution of the plan the same. That's our first point. We can't cause church growth by man-made innovation, right? We have to do it the way God wants us to do it. So what's the very first thing I can do personally to affect church growth? Well, I need to be present, right? I have to be present. I have to be where the church is when we come together and we meet. You know, the first century church had to overcome a few obstacles, didn't they? We are in the process as a nation right now 
particularly as the church right now, having to overcome a few obstacles. And we can look around, obviously, it has affected us. That doesn't mean we've done wrong. That doesn't mean the people who can't come out right now are doing wrong. They're having to protect themselves, and they may be a little more vulnerable than someone else, and so that's perfectly acceptable. But that's kind of uh, the, the exception not to rule, right? That's not the norm. Something like this comes along. We don't see this very often. We're talking about everyday events that we allow ourselves to, uh, which we allow to overcome us. You see, the first century had to had to deal with some hindrances. They had to travel long distances to to uh, be able to worship together as a group. They had health problems. Some of their health problems might have even been beaten half to death because they got caught. Worshiping God, they had unexpected guests that would that would arrive on the doorstep and and would uh, might present a hindrance, but they were faced with many of the th- same things that that we were faced with, and even greater though. Do you know until the third century, Christianity was outlawed. If you got caught practicing Christianity, you'd go to jail for that. You might even lose your life uh, if anyone accused you of being a Christian. You were in trouble. You know uh, that period of time in Rome wasn't like it is in our in our nation. You're innocent, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. You're innocent until proven guilty. Well, hey, during that time, you're guilty till you can convince someone you're innocent. And so they had a whole lot of other things they had to deal with. They had to be very careful with whom they spoke about Jesus. They had to be very careful. Uh, where they worshipped and, and the things they went about doing it because there were there were people who posed as believers that were simply trying to catch them up in their beliefs so they could turn them over to the authorities. On top of that, you had Judaizing teachers who were trying to convince Christians to come back to the old law. Now you could be a Jew if you wanted to be one. That wasn't outlawed. And so you had all of these people who were trying to convince Jewish Christians, come on back to the old law. See, we're not having problems over here. Rome's not trying to kill us on top of perverting the gospel. So there's little wonder, I think, that uh, uh, the early church had a problem with church attendance. And that's exactly why the writer of Hebrews addressed that in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. He said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. But you know what the inspired writer did not make allowance for? An excuse because you're being persecuted. Okay, well, you're being persecuted, don't show up. No, he didn't do that, right? So we have to be very careful not to set an example that would cause someone else to do something they should not be doing. A congregation that does not see the importance of attendance will not be able to actively grow. So first, you had to be present, right? That's the first thing I can do. How can I make sure the church is growing? Okay, well, I'm going to be part of the number. I'm going to be here. Secondly, part of that execution is to do personal work. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, we ought to all have a Bible, be having Bible studies with someone. Well, yeah, that's the short answer. We ought to. 
But that's not likely reasonable in every situation, right? There's some things that would hinder us from being able to do that. So what do we do? Well, let's line them up for somebody else to do them, right? We can all do that. We can all say, okay, hey, I know someone that would be perfect for uh, uh, you to sit down with and discuss the Bible. We've got a number of folks that can do that. So we have to be involved in, in personal work. And, of course, the ultimate aim of the church can be seen in the statement that Paul made to the Ephesian brethren, Ephesians 3.21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Let's bring glory to God. Let's grow the body. But you got to be present and you got to participate in personal work. Jesus told us how to accomplish that goal. He said, John 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. When we fail to do personal work for the Lord, we fail in glorifying Him. Again, you know, not, not everybody is has a bent toward that. Not everyone has an ability for that, right? A per, and that doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with Bible knowledge. You know, some people, when they're pressed a little bit, they kind of forget what they knew, right? Have you ever taken a test and you studied for it and under a normal circumstance, you and your buddy were studying together and asking questions, you knew all the answers, and then all of a sudden you got the pressure of the test and it's like you go blank, right? Well, that can happen in a Bible study. Well, it doesn't need to happen, so what do we need to do? Well, maybe we ought to encourage someone else to do that and, and I just go along on the Bible study. Or whatever the case may be. But if we fail to do personal work, we fail in glorifying Him because we're not producing fruit. That's part of the execution. And evangelism has to be a top priority. Let me give you a few numbers here. I was astounded. In the first century, it's been estimated there were 150,000 Christians in a world of 200 million. Okay, in 1963, that estimate was 2,125,000 Christians in a world of about 3 billion. And what it is today, we've been stuck on this number, 2.5 to 3 million. It's, I, I haven't known another number. You know how many people are in the world today? Over 7 billion. There were more people, percentage, who were Christians in the first century suffering that terrible persecution than there are in the world today. Isn't that something? Is the reason for that simply a lack of evangelism? Not in every case. Not in every case. But that is one of the problems. So we have to be able to see what they saw in the execution of the church. They were present. They did personal work. But you can't stop there. We have to look to expand the body. You know, that, that's like saying, well, I've got a plan, but I'm not going to put it into effect. Well, the execution is the plan. The expansion of the body is putting it into place. How do we expand? Well, first of all, we have to have spiritual health. Each individual has to have spiritual health. And until one is truly converted... He's not healthy spiritually. 
if, un, uh, until one gets fully on board of what God wants, he just simply is not healthy spiritually. And that goes beyond initial salvation. Just because a person understands what the steps to salvation are or is, doesn't mean that person is spiritually healthy. You know, you can, rote memory can allow anyone to, to, to learn and to repeat something, right? But you have to, you have to, that has to be a part of you. James said that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1.8. Now that double-minded person or one who vacillates or wavers from one position to the other is the person who he's in, he's out. He's in, he's out. He wants to be faithful. He's trying to be faithful. And next thing you know, he's back in the world. He just can't get rid of the world. Now, why is that? Well, there are any number of reasons why that's the case. But we know he's not spiritually healthy, right? He has to be looking for that which he needs. He has to have a desire for it. And he has to make himself spiritually healthy. We've got us an epidemic going on. If If they come out with a cure and we don't take the cure, does it do us any good? Well, no, it doesn't do us any good. We have to look for it. We have to ask for it. We have to accept it. Now, what about this? You go to your doctor and he says, okay, I've got a shot here for you. And this is, this is going to uh, prevent you from getting this uh, COVID-19. And you say, okay, I'll take a shot, but I don't want it to be that particular shot. I want this shot over here that's, you know, not going to hurt as bad or the, the needle's not hardly as big or it's something else. A shot's a shot, right? No, the shot's not a shot. Have you ever had to go to the doctor and get a, an antibiotic shot? You ever had a rocephin shot? That's like shooting molasses into you. Man, when you when you come to, you crawl out to the car and someone helps you into it because it feels like your leg's broke, right? Now, I've had other shots that weren't a problem. But the, the point is we have to be spiritually healthy the way God's told us to be. We can't go another route. We can't go another route. We have to do what He says. You know, the first century enjoyed great growth because the members were spiritually healthy. They endured a whole lot of things to get where they needed to be. So if we're going to execute God's plan in expanding the church, we have to be spiritually healthy. And then we have to go about helping the cause to do that, right? We might be able to sit around and talk about it and, you know... uh, I remember when I was working in the body shop, we had a fella, and we'd, we'd take a break together, several of us, and uh, sometimes everybody, you know, someone would go to the Coke machine and say, okay, what, what do y'all want? I'm, on, I'm buying today. Well, we had this one particular guy that would jump up every single time, and uh, after someone said, okay, I'll buy, I'm going, and, and he'd jump up, stick his hand in his pocket, he said, oh, here, let me buy, let me buy, after you're already halfway up the hill. You know, he didn't offer that till someone had already agreed to it. He's not helping, right? He's just taking. And of course, it was kind of a joke. Nobody cared. But uh, you see the illustration I'm making. If we're not willing to help, we can talk about it all day long. Yeah, that's a great idea. Well, how are we going to carry it out? I don't know. You worry about that. See, that's not what the church needs. We need to execute God's plan by helping carry out the mission. In my opinion, one of the worst things that's going on in in the world today is the idea of people 
not wanting to do something unless they get something out of it. Self-gratification, right? What's in it for me? Why would I do that? You know, why, why go out of your way to help someone or to participate in something if you're not getting something out of it? Uh, you know, what's in it for me? I think that's an awful syndrome. And I, I believe that that mindset has infiltrated the church in some areas. We need to be careful about that. All members have to have the attitude of servants. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a servant. How are we most helpful to the world? <coughs> By taking the gospel, teaching the gospel, demonstrating the gospel in our lives and in our teachings. Christ helped the world. And Paul demanded this. Philippians 2, begin with verse 5. Let this, mind, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You know, I used to have a terrible time understanding what that even meant. What does it mean when he said, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God? Well, first of all, it means Jesus is God. He is God. He is in the form of God. Not seeing it as robbery to be equal with God means not seeing it as something to grasp or to keep hold of or to rob from someone else for his own possession. Meaning he was willing to leave heaven. He didn't leave behind his divinity. He was as much God as, uh, in the form of Christ as he ever was in the form of the Word. But he didn't consider his position in heaven to be something to fight for. He just willingly went to be a servant so we could be saved. That's exactly what that means. We are to have that same mindset. We're to do the things that Christ did. A lot of people have seen Christianity as a burden instead of a blessing. Christianity is never a burden. Is it inconvenient sometimes? Yes. That's okay. There's a whole lot of things that are inconvenient. Work can be inconvenient, but we don't stop doing that, do we? We have to maintain our faithfulness. To see what they saw, congregations have to execute the work of the church. That is to expand the body of Christ, but there's something else that we cannot leave out. There has to be extermination. You do certain things and you cut other things loose. You do that in the, in the agricultural world, right? You prune a, a tree back and it comes out better. You you prune the, uh, the grapevines back and they come back better. We have to uh, exterminate certain things in our lives to make us better. And one of the things we have to exterminate is a lack of perseverance. We have to be willing to get in there and hang in there. Stay with it, right? Because sometimes it gets a little rough. James said this, James 1, beginning with 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations... Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That means complete. That you can be complete. When we handle temptation correctly, it makes us stronger. 
it makes us stronger. So we have to persevere through that, right? And we can always remember the comforting words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. No one has it worse than anybody else when it comes to temptation. No one has it worse than anyone else. All sins are common to humanity. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Someone says, well, there was no escape. I couldn't help it. Well, finding the escape is the same thing as uh, looking for how to grow the church or looking for faith. You've got to look for the escape. You gotta look for the exit, right? If you're in a burning building, are you just gonna sit down because the smoke is everywhere and say, well, there was no exit? Well, there were 75 exits. You just didn't look for one. They're out there if we will find them, right? And that's what, that's what Paul's talking about. The Lord persevered as he carried the message from heaven and we ought to persevere as well. To see what they saw, we must also exterminate a lack of priority. What's our priority? Well, it better be God. It better be the Christ. Have you ever noticed anyone that was successful in anything in life, whether it was business or whether it was uh, learning to uh, do some kind of physical activity well or whatever the case may be, they had priorities. <laughs> they put priorities in order. Someone who was a great student, you know what the priority was? Study. Study. I kind of messed that up a little bit when I was a student. That wasn't a huge priority of mine. Uh, I paid for it, so I had to kind of redo what I was thinking, and I had to make that a priority. But we have to have priorities. Many have not counted the cost, and they haven't established the priority of what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, there's a whole lot of things I might have to change about myself. I might have to, to stop doing certain things and start doing other things. That's a priority. You know, when we look at the most basic priorities in life, it becomes very clear very quickly what we'll do to gain that, right? Someone says, well, you can go how many ever days without eating food? Okay, I agree with that. You can go much less time without water. You know how long you can go without breathing air? Well, I think you have brain damage after about three minutes. Normally, or five minutes or something like that. That's a short period of time. You ever been somewhere where you couldn't get a breath of air? You will claw your way out of wherever you are to get a breath of air. Why? It's a priority. You put everything you've got into it. I need to breathe. I need to get somewhere. You ever been a little claustrophobic? I've never been claustrophobic, but I've talked to people who have been, and uh, they go in to get an MRI. That lasts about two seconds, and they're looking for a way out. Why? It's a priority. You see, God has to be a priority. We have to exterminate the lack of priority. We have to put Him where He ought to be. Jesus spoke to priorities when He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Absolutely, that's the case, isn't it? The things that we treasure is, is the very place where our minds 
and our desires and our hearts are focused. You know, we treasure our children. You live your whole life trying to give them what they need to have, even after they're grown, right? You ever stop worrying about them? Julie's never stopped worrying about her baby. I don't stop worrying about mine. Carl's got a grown son who's doing wonderfully in life, and you still worry about him. Because not only now you got to worry about that that kid, that kid's got kids. <laughs> now you're worrying about those kids, right? And it just never stops. You see, that's a priority, so we focus on it. And we got to do well. Brethren, our priorities have to be correct. The rich fool came to that understanding too late, Luke 12, verse 20. Look at all these things I've put together I've, that I've created. I'm going to tear these barns down. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Boy, I have been successful. And the Lord said, Thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Then whose things will these be that you have accumulated, that you have gotten? That's sarcasm, by the way. Now that doesn't mean that we ignore the things in this life. It just means they put in a priority. Okay? When this life's over, the time to adjust priorities is over. Not going to happen then. I wish we could go speak with the, the rich man right now. We've seen the conversation he had with Father Abraham. He'd still be pleading to come out of there. I'd trade everything I ever had in this world, get out of torments, because as bad as torments is, hell's going to be worse. I don't know how, but it will be. And he doesn't, he's not interested, right? No group will ever be able to see what they saw when we're talking about the church until they work hard together and they're dedicated together. Well, that's absent. You're not going to have growth. It's a worthy goal to desire heaven. It's one we all ought to have. It's a worthy goal to serve the Lord. It's a worthy goal to be faithful. And it's a worthy goal to evangelize our area. Whether, wherever that area is or wherever we want to send folks. We send folks all over the world. We've got them in Europe. We've got them in Asia. We've got them in the South Pacific. We support them all over the place. We support stateside mission work. One down in South Georgia. Brother Roger Leonard, we're helping support that work. We help support uh, Brother Jeff Archie on the International Gospel Hour. You know, we're reaching out all over the world. But see, we still have a responsibility ourselves. And all that's aided, seeing what they saw. If we know that we have an execution plan, which is to expand, and at the same time we exterminate some things in our lives that we need to cut loose. That needs to happen from time to time. Christ admonished John 4.35. Say not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. We want to see what they saw, but we have to do the things they did. You need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight. You need to obey the gospel, be added to church through baptism. That's what we need to do. If you need to repent of sin in your life, come back to God, and you need to do that publicly. If that's the case, do that as we stand and as we sing.